1: Welcome into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. All right, for today's Locked On Reds podcast, I have with me a very special guest. First time on the podcast, uh, he is the man who has been behind the scenes of every Reds broadcast since I've been listening to Reds baseball, and he's known Marty for quite a while, Joe for quite a while. I, I'm looking forward to this a whole lot. I hope you are, too. I have with me Dave Yiddy Armbruster. Yid, how are you doing today, sir?
0: I'm really good, and um, since I've known them all quite a while, that just makes me one thing old.
1: <laughs> what well, I, I, I man, I I just appreciate having you on here. We're we're gonna talk about some fun stuff, and I I want to jump right into it. I want to know how did you get your name?
0: How I got my nickname was pretty simple. Is the fact that my name is David, and my brother, when we were little kids, couldn't say it. So it always came out Yid, and that has stuck with me my entire life, and there's nothing more to it than that.
1: Did Marty ever get so mad as to call you Dave, or was it always
0: just Yid? Always Yid. I don't think he's ever – he's been mad, but he's never called me anything but Yid.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, is it like something like maybe – like I know my parents, if they got mad at me, they'd call me by my middle name. I didn't know if maybe he got so mad, but –
0: No. No, no. He would – he would call me other things, things <laughs> that I cannot repeat even on a podcast. So we'll just leave that at that.
1: Well, let's, uh, I tell you what, when it comes to Marty, when I say Marty Brenneman, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
0: Funny and foul mouthed. And people, people won't know that, but Marty is a legendary cursor. Um, and you would never know it on the air because it never happens on the air. He knows when to stop. He knows when to start. But um, you know, he he's got a colorful language. Let's put it that way. But colorful vocabulary. He is. Uh, but he's a he's a funny guy, and he's always been um, since the day I met him. He was funny, and that's why. That's what made him as great as he is because he was funny in such a way that he never took himself too serious. He never took his You know, he took his job serious, but in the scheme of things, he knew that he was, it it was more than just the baseball game. Marty was, what made him great is that Marty is an entertainer. Baseball just happened to be there. It was the Marty Brenneman show for three hours every game. Um, And baseball was the vehicle to get him on the air and entertain the masses, which he did for 46 years.
1: You got to work for him. Or work with him, not for him, you got to work with him for over thirty years when When did you really feel like you were in a groove with him when When did you feel like you got used to who Marty is and how he operated
0: oh that's a pretty good question you never you never get a hundred percent comfortable because <laughs> you know the one thing that marty does and and all good ones all great ones should do is you don't um you don't settle you make sure everything is better than it was the day before and so you know he he, it's not that he wouldn't criticize because he did but i think what i got comfortable probably oh i don't know maybe three or four years into it um i started in 86 90 was the world series so um Probably right after that, because that was my first experience with playoffs and and World Series games in the magnitude of how big they were. Um, So maybe I was a little antsy then looking back on it. But but after that, you know, it it was a comfort level and uh, he made you he made you comfortable. There's no question about it. That's that's, you know, if if he liked you, he'd beat up on you a little bit, but (laughs) still it was but but that was almost that was almost good cuz if he right. didn't like you he wouldn't say three words to you so you know then i knew i was kind of in the club
1: when you look back on that first playoff experience uh, knowing a little bit behind the scenes work that i uh, i know i'm sure nothing went wrong during that playoff uh, experience did it like no technical oh, issues oh no plenty,
0: believe me plenty went wrong <laughs> plenty went wrong starting with the fact that they played the uh the series in Pittsburgh. And I drove up there in the station van with, of all people, Andy Furman, if I don't know if you remember him or not. Um, and we had a flat tire in the middle of the highway on this van. And here I am laying underneath a van in the high speed lane or on the shoulder, changing a tire while cars are whizzing by about 85 miles an hour. It was very <laughs> oh, <my>. scary. <laughs> and, then, and then we finally got to Pittsburgh. And, Uh, It was downhill for that, except I do remember, uh, I do remember screwing something up for the star of the game show. The mic went out, the mic was working before the game, but when we got to the star of the game show with Nuxo, it didn't work. So we didn't have a star of the game show that first night. Something went screwy. Um, So you do remember that. I tend to remember my mistakes more than my successes, unfortunately.
1: D- describe that feeling for people because that's something that uh, I'm, a, I've experienced on a couple of different shows as well, like for at least a, a moment. And it feels like that moment lasts forever, but what does it feel like whenever the mic doesn't come on?
0: It's, it's terrifying. And you got to just, you know, I've been through it enough now that doesn't make it any easier, but you, you, you stay a little calmer. That's the biggest thing. You, you, have to pinpoint what goes wrong, and you can't always do that quickly. And so those guys are on the air, and I and that's the one thing I learned early on is when there's a problem, don't tell Marty, because <laughs> then then it's worse. Then he's turning around screaming instead of just just go on like everything's fine. And so, um, but it, it's it's it really is terrifying. You're kind of like okay, we're off the air. How can I get a backup? And there's always, you know, m- more often than not, you have a backup. So if you got to get the backup running first, even if it doesn't sound great. And there's been times where, you know, you, you, the last resort is you hand them the telephone. I'm not sure I had to do that with Reds baseball, but I have done that with other sports with, with, uh, I know I did that with basketball where something went down. You just hand the announcers the phone and say, start talking until I get it. fixed." <laughs> oh so, you know, Hey, you, Getting everything on the air is uh, gold number one. You worry about the little stuff as soon as you're back on the air, and then you kind of pinpoint the problem after that.
1: Can you remember, can you pinpoint a specific game where you're just like, man, this was my favorite game that Marty ever did?
0: Tom Browning's perfect game. It's not even a close second. That was. In all the things in sports I've ever been a part of, that was by far the coolest thing I've ever seen, because it was completely unexpected. It was a Friday night. The place was. It rained for two hours, so nobody was in the ballpark. And that guy game got over, I believe, just right after mid, or right before midnight, and it was just surreal. And Marty's call of the ninth inning was, uh, was was just. Fantastic, and to the point when we played the, you know the the Frisch's big play of the game, I told him I said we're playing the whole inning, um because <laughs> it was it was just so cool. So that was that stood out to me as um, the best thing I've ever seen in baseball, really in sports. That really was the, the neatest thing ever.
1: One of the things that, and, and I'll always remember this about Marty because he was the best in the biz when it came to the good moments, the moments that you will look back and remember. I mean, I'm never going to forget his call of Clinchmas and Jay Bruce's home run off of uh, Tim Burdak. But the, one of the other things that he was so good at too, and it pains me to say this because there were plenty of years where this was the case, but when the Reds weren't so good, he was a great announcer for that too. It, was there ever a moment during the game where it just, you saw something happen on the field and you're
0: like, oh boy, here it goes. Yeah. But I mean, to back up a second, you're right. That's that's what makes Marty or made him the, the best announcer in my mind that it's ever been. Because um, believe me, through these years, I've had plenty of people send me audition tapes. You know, I've had stacks of them and you go through them and my, I got to the point where I tell them, you're going to send me a tape. Don't send me a best stuff tape because anybody can do that. There are I can go out tomorrow and find you a hundred announcers who are really good, calling a strict baseball game when something good's happening. I want I always told him send me a crappy game when your team's either up by ten or losing more better losing by ten, and I'll tell you how good of an announcer you are. That's what Marty. That's what made him the absolute best because. You know, there were some lean years, let's be honest with it. I mean, they're not always a, a great team. Um, and, you know, things that stick out was the whole the whole Elvis in the booth stuff, uh, the things people remember. People still, to this day, will ask Marty about his tomato plants. He he talked about <laughs> tomato plants like one season back in the early 90s, and people were still asking him about it. That Because that's the things that stick in people's brains. It's not, they'll remember the big calls. They absolutely remember the Jay Bruce call 4192. There's no question about that. But when you ask them, they remember um, the more humorous moments or, and sometimes in Marty's case, when he's getting on players a little bit, they'll remember that as well.
1: How does he feel? Because I know that social media and Twitter and, and the Reds fans that are all around social media, have an idea based on his broadcast, but what does Marty think about Joey Votto?
0: Oh, I think Marty, I think Marty appreciates the talent of Joey Votto. I mean, I, and I, and I think, you know, he said some stuff about his contract, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, and I know they talked about it, but I think he he appreciates the, the hitter Joey Votto is. I mean, nobody really can deny that. I mean, not, not maybe not now, but five six years ago, heck yeah. Even as you know, as, as recent as seventeen. Um, but you know, it's the thing that, that Marty did is, and I think all good announcers do. I'm just going to say Marty does it. Is if you're going to praise a guy when he's doing well, then you can criticize him when he's doing poorly. But when you criticize him, you go show your face. Because if <laughs> they want to talk to you, then you, you you're there, you know, to take the, the slings and arrows that come your way. And Marty's always done that. He is down in that clubhouse every afternoon, no matter what. So he's not you know, he's not hiding behind a microphone. If they want to talk to him about what he said. And and sometimes they have, and sometimes they haven't. And you know, I, I know they've disagreed. I know he had his disagreements with Ken Griffey Jr. But you know, they patched everything over. You just have to um, take the good with the bad. And you've been around long enough. I've been around way longer than you. And um, <laughs> you know, coaches and players tend not to hear things. If if you pin, if you ask them, they always said, well my wife said or my dad said or my friend said. They never actually heard it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like a game a telephone. You know, when they hear it, they may not think the same way as when they hear it second hand. Um so, you know, a lot of times confronting him and Marty would tell him exactly what he said and then, oh, okay. That that makes sense. You know, That's nobody what- wants to be criticized, but when you're a ball player a baseball player, a hitter fails seven, 70% of the time. So, right. you know, <laughs> you're going to get criticized.
1: And those are the good ones that fail 70% yeah. of the time. <laughs> um, right. it, it, one thing that I read, it was in uh, Mo's interview with you in the athletic friend of the show, Mo Baker, um, talking about how Marty is going to be one of the last guys who actually get to do that, who actually get to tell it like it is, be completely honest. What makes you say that? Uh,
0: Just the way the media has gone now, the uh, number one, not many people could have done it to begin with. I mean, there's a handful of people who could have said the things Marty said and and still have their jobs. And believe me, over the years, he's had his run-ins with and going back to Dick Wagner days. Um, but a lot of reasons, number one, teams are going to put reins on announcers more now than ever. Uh, And, and, you know, and part of it's rightfully so you're trying to sell your team. You're trying to sell games. Um, Two, I don't know that anybody's going to be around long enough to get that kind of clout in a, in a city and have that kind of power, with uh listeners and and people in the city, everybody knows Marty brennerman i mean he's you know if if his name and his face are well known in the city even if you're not a baseball fan, you know who that brennerman guy is mm-hmm. um you're not going to have that much more anymore and and think about it the reasons why media is so uh dispersed now. there was a time when. You know, radio was it, and and radio, baseball on the radio, in Cincinnati was unbelievable. It's still a radio town, but now think about this: now every Reds game is on TV, every single one of them. Mm -hmm. When Marty was in his heyday, they may have TV'd fifty games a year, and that uh, that may even be on the high side. So not all those games were on when he was calling the Big Red Machine, and even his late as ninety. There were more games on in ninety, but um, you know, still not every game. And now it's, you know, with with a podcast, for instance, like this show, that scatters the media with more TV, with more channels you can watch, there's this overall not as many people um watching the same thing or listening to the same thing. And then you're not gonna have one guy who just dominates everything. It's just not I don't think it's going to happen.
1: When you think of working with Marty and Joe, what was your favorite memory working with the both of them?
0: Spring training. Spring training in Florida was the absolute best time of my life. Um, you know, I was, that was, I started going to spring training, I believe 1989, which I think is the year they opened. It was the first year at Plant City, which by the way, is the garden spot of Florida. If you've never been there, I'm kidding actually. Um <laughs> But we would, we would ride, um, we would meet at the ballpark every morning and then we would ride together to every spring training game. And in Florida, unlike Arizona in Florida, the closest game is 45 minutes away. The furthest, you know, you'd, some days you'd go three hour ride each direction. So I'd be in the car with them for ever. And Joe would Joe would always drive, and he had his big conversion van. It was great. And I would run ride in the front seat, and Marty would sit in the back seat, and Marty would be on Joe the entire ride. And it was hilarious. It was like it was a comedy act every afternoon driving to and from the ballpark. And we had just had, I had the best time of my life. I learned words I never knew. I heard jokes (laughs) I've never heard. I've heard stories I would never hear again, nor would I ever retell them. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just, that was the best time, honestly, of my professional life. I had so much fun doing that. I I actually missed those. I mean, everybody's happy we're in Arizona because the rides are so short. I'm the only guy that wishes we were still in Florida driving for two hours each way.
1: Was there ever a point where you kind of thought that Marty became bigger than Joe or was Joe always the guy?
0: Um, I, I think Joe was probably always the guy because Joe had legendary status you know it was just he played he was a great guy um mm-hmm. there was not a nicer person in the world than joe and 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 joe was always it was a little bit of uh you know give and take there because as much as marty could criticize the team joe was just the opposite he was a player's guy and he made no bones about it the players were you know he was an ex player and um and they, they still treated him as a player. I mean, Joe still had, up until really the very end, Joe still had his own locker at um, Synergy Field Riverfront Stadium, and he'd go down there and and sit in the afternoon. with. Even when he got done throwing batting practice years after that, he'd still be down there. Um, so I, I just think Joe Joe's legend grew legendary. I mean, Joe's persona grew legendary as time went on, but I think Marty also helped that. I think I think the two of them together helped each other because Marty could really bring out the best of anybody, you know, and he would mess with Joe knowing he would get a rise out of him. He did it on purpose. (laughs) Um, But again, it goes back to telling you how what Marty what Marty was so good is that he made everybody else better. And he he truly did. Everybody he's worked with uh, Joe, Jeff Brantley. Steve Stewart, you name them—they got all got a little bit better because they were working with Marty Brennan.
1: Did Joe? I, I always ever wonder this too, because did did Joe ever drop the? Did you ever play the game line on Marty? Just behind um, the
0: scenes. No, I don't think he ever did. I, I you know, I, I could be wrong, but I've never, I never heard him say that. Did I never got that impression. Kind of yeah. Thing? Now, I I don't, Joe was never, he was never uh, somebody that would say something like that. Um, you know, now, you, you know, I don't think people listening on the radio knew it. And really, in the time I knew Joe, which was a long time, mm-hmm. he wasn't like that. But Joe, when he was a player, had a legendary temper. I mean, he could get as mad as, as anybody you've ever seen, um, according to people who, played with him (laughs) you know joe had that edge to him and he was and i've seen it come i've seen it come out a couple times i've seen him once get cut off on a highway in florida and he wanted about kill the guy that cut him off i mean i thought he was i thought he was going to pull over and strangle this dude and um you know but (laughs) he calmed down after that and he was fine
1: I just it, it, that's one thing, and it's like you said. I mean, I've only ever known him through the radio broadcasts and and the stories that people have told. So yeah, the the the, the temper is not something that I ever would have picked up on with him. Right. Kind of like I asked with Marty. Same question with Joe. What is your favorite Joe call that he ever had?
0: Uh, you know that's a good question. I think I think two of them stand out. One I was one I was in this actually in the station before I started doing the games, and that was and that was Johnny Bench night when Johnny Bench hit the home run um, when he was retiring, and I believe it was 1983, and Joe and Bench hit the home run, and Joe went nuts over that call. <laughs> um, the other one that stands out to me is the um, the World Series against the, the A's. When Billy Bates scored, on the um, like, was it Billy Hatcher? Bad, I don't even remember. Who he had the base hit, but mm-hmm. Billy Hatcher score or Billy Bates scored, and Joe oh, Joe Oliver hit the ball, and um, and Joe just lost it. It was great. Um, that was that was an iconic call. I mean, and we play that over and over again. And you know, I honestly think that um, Joe made forty one ninety two better because him in the background that was the off often did saying, you know, there it is, there it is, there it is. Yep. And, you know, on home runs, you just say, get out of here, get out of here, get out of here. And I know some purists are like, Oh, you can't talk over the, another announcer. But to me, that made it Reds baseball. And oh, yeah. those were the calls. So I, I, I would go Billy Bates that Billy Bates call is probably my favorite.
1: Did anyone ever tell me, because I love, I love it when, your hometown announcers kind of get excited about the game and get a little bit biased in that regard. I I think it adds to it, at least from the home side perspective. Did anyone ever tell him to tone it down?
0: I don't think so. I I don't think at all. I think they. <laughs> I think everybody everybody liked it. You know, it was just Good. it was part of him. And and you're right. If you're listening to a national broadcast, you don't want that. No. But if you're listening to the hometown announcers. You'd like to have a little excitement. I don't think you should be a total homer and an more than a homer, an apologist. I don't think right. you should always, you know, ignore when something goes wrong. Um, but on the same token, when something goes right, get excited. You should you should get excited. If you're not excited, how's the people listening going to be excited? Exactly.
1: And, and and I think of like different things that have happened over the last decade or so that it would have been interesting to hear him in the background with Marty. Like, I mean, Scooter Jeanette's four home run game comes to mind. I think he would have yep. just absolutely loved that last one.
0: And oh, yeah, there's no question. And, and the, the Jay Bruce home run. Yep. Jay Bruce. He would, he would love that too. But, but having said all that, Jeff Brantley has done a fantastic job.
1: Yes, he and, has.
0: And it's, and, and that's, you know, it, it's, you couldn't have asked for a better person to replace Joe Nuxall. And, and uh, you know, before he came, I didn't really know Jeff Brantley. I'm sure I, I met him when he played here, but I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. But he was the perfect guy to fill those shoes. He really was.
1: He is a guy, thinking of Jeff Brantley, it's funny because to almost call him Jeff is different. I mean, you, we always think of him as Cowboy. When did he right. become
0: Cowboy? Well, he was cowboy when he was playing. Okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Jason Larue gave him the no- name Cowboy because of his. He wore cow. He always wears cowboy boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be 112, and he's wearing cowboy boots. Um, so that that's how he got that name. But then, you know, I think the longer he was here, he grew into the cowboy persona, and and. You know, he d- d- make no mistake about it. He is a Southern guy, and and what you hear is Jeff Brantley, and um, so it's it, again Marty kind of brought that out of him, and he just kind of brought it out himself. He started getting more and more comfortable, you know, just being cowboy on the air, and you know, a lot of times it takes time, and it did. It took it took time, but I think it it finally clicked for him, and. um you know, and then those two really formed a great relationship together.
1: That's one thing you, you talk about Marty and the tomato plants. I always think of when I think of cowboy, I think of him talking about going getting some UDF ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Think.
0: And he would, that, that, you know, that's the best part about him is that he's not afraid um, to, to uh, talk about himself and the dumb things he's done. He's not so protective and he's not such a, a diva that you're not allowed to, you know, nothing ever goes wrong. I mean, he's told stories on and off the air that would just crack you up. The one one, and you talk about the UDF ice cream. He really did go in there and get these seven scoops of ice cream or whatever. <laughs> but he talked about one day going home and eating, going after a game and sitting on his, you know, is sitting on his lazy boy with his ice cream and falling asleep. And waking up, and he's all. Now I wouldn't have told anybody I did that, <laughs> but he he didn't he didn't mind. He right. you know he tells those stories. He had the one I think it was last spring training when he couldn't figure out how uh, how the uh, washer worked, and he's talking to his wife on the phone, and she goes, um, "You didn't pour the soap in there yet, have you?" He goes, "Well, yeah, I, I did." She said, "Get it out now because that's the dryer." He was trying to <laughs> do his washing to dry her. Oh no! And, it, it, and only Brantley, you know, would a do that, and then b feel comfortable enough to tell you about it. <laughs> so, you know, that, that... he's he's it's, he's he's just really fit in, and his play-by-play has gotten really good too.
1: When you look back, working in the booth like you have, what is your what's your? personal favorite moment being in the booth,
0: boy, there's a lot of them. Um,
1: <laughs> Give me a top three
0: well, uh, you know i you know I told you about the games, but mm-hmm. just being in the booth number one has to be um, eating dinner because we all eat dinner together. they have a cafeteria up there. And so every night at five thirty, it's always Marty, not always Jeff, it just depends, but he's there like half the time. And then I'll be there, Tom Brennan will be there, Jim Day will be there, Chris Welsh will be there, and then various and other people who, you know, might be doing games or you know, in the production staff are all there. And that's Marty's time to hold court. We sit at a big table and uh Marty will pick out a target for the night, whoever that may be more often than not, it's Jim day (laughs) and he will just proceed to beat him up during our entire dinner. And it is so funny. And people who who aren't even involved will sit there and laugh. Um, We did. I mean, that, that last series that Marty did um, before I retired was against Milwaukee and Bob Euchre was there. So he sat down and, you talk about dying laughing because he's hilarious, um, and so that that was you know that's one of them right there because it it went on all the time, and it was funnier and funnier every day, and it and it never got old. It really didn't. Um, I think the other thing is is I think when people popped into the booth, President Bush came in once. Um, it's not unusual to see Kirk Herbstreet in there Um, and then his semi-local guy Nick Lachey is in there on occasion and then other people that you just wouldn't expect and um, just they just pop up and and they all know Marty somehow some way Mm -hmm. and you know those are fun those are always fun to to sit in there and before even with guys from other teams um, other announcers will come in and sit down and talk with Marty and Um, it's, it's, it's really entertaining stuff. I mean, I, I've learned a lot from them. Just listening to Keith Hernandez talk was unbelievable (laughs) and listening to, um, uh, Nomar Garcia Para talk. It's just when they have these conversations, you know, I'm just sitting back like a uh, fly on the wall, listening to it and taking it all in. That's the stuff that I remember because it's really, it's really, really cool.
1: I just always you say Keith Hernandez. It's I still think of Seinfeld
0: all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Really, uh, yeah,
1: I'm Keith Hernandez.
0: He, he's, he was he's a great guy. I mean, I, I some other one. I mean, Mark Grace when he was doing the D-backs games may have been the funniest person ever. He told the greatest stories. Uh, again, none of which I can repeat, but he told sure. the greatest <laughs> stories. And um, you know, you just you just get entertained because these guys come in and it's like. You know, and a lot of times we'll sit in there and, and believe me, I've heard all of Marty's jokes a thousand times, but some people come in and they are, they're newcomers. They've never heard them. And when Marty starts talking to them, they are completely shocked. And that's the, to me, that's the best part. I just start laughing at their reaction.
1: (laughs) That's awesome, man. Who has been, over your time with the Reds, who's been your favorite player to watch?
0: Probably for a two or three year span, Eric Davis was. Okay, he was. I mean, he was unbelievable. What he could do at the plate and in the field, playing center field, he was it just spectacular. Um, Barry Larkin, I. I – goes down as one of my favorites because i loved i mean it it, this is the oddest thing but i love barry larkin hitting the ball to right field and Mm -hmm. it's something every time i i see guys today i'm thinking they should go back and watch a video of barry larkin and how he could put the ball any place he wanted it on a baseball field um you know i I, watching joey Votto hit is uh, especially you know when he was you know in 10 when he was the mvp it's just amazing Mm-hmm. uh what he can do with a bat at times um and i, I mean i it, i love the 90s team because that was the one time i went to the world series so all those guys i had I, I really have fond memories about eric davis and um and the nasty boys i i thought randy myers was wonderful i i just this is 90 we're sitting in the plant city holiday inn and Believe me, this was not exactly, um, you know, the Beverly Hills Ritz Carlton. It's the Plant City Holiday Inn, <laughs> and and it was, and I'm sitting in the bar, you know, after a game that day, and mm-hmm. there's Randy um, Myers and I forget, and I think it was uh, the True Creature was in there, and they're just sitting there, just having a good old time, and that's the stuff you remember. That's the stuff you remember the most. Um, so yeah, that whole team I really enjoyed um, watching play. They were they were good. But if I had a pick this Eric Davis was probably my favorite player just because what he did those first two or three years he was a red.
1: I that's one guy, and I'll watch highlights every so often, like on YouTube and stuff, but I was too young to remember getting to watch him. I really wish I would have been able to to see him in all his uh, prime and, and the talent that he displayed because just about everybody that I talked to that got the chance to witness him is like, man, he he would have been one of the best to ever do it.
0: Yeah, he couldn't stay healthy. I mean, he was just – he was you wouldn't say frail, but he wasn't a big, big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, but he could just—he could run, he could hit, he could field. He was just a really good baseball player. You know, and the other guy and I mentioned him earlier was Tom Browning. I loved watching Tom Browning pitch, and and I mean, I don't know if you've ever come across him, but you talk about one of the nicest people in the history of the world. That's Tom Browning. Nice
1: to get him on here. Um Yeah, <laughs> I thank you so much for your time, man. I d- one no last qu- we'll we'll end it yep. with this one last question. Do you think here let's say next 5 years, you'll get to go to another World Series?
0: Uh yes. And and honestly, the the, the way things are going with this pandemic um is a real bummer because oh, I, yeah this team was taking a big step forward and they still may, but everything's going to be shortened and everything's going to be so much different than it would have been. But, um, you know, the the Reds went out and they did exactly what they said they were going to do. And um, this team was going to be much better. Do I know that they think they were going to go deep in the playoffs this year? Probably not, but it would set a good foundation for what's to come in the next few years. And I think that, the key to all this is, you know, to maintain your success. I, I, and I understand how teams have to do this. Look at look at the Royals. Now, mm-hmm. then they want the what the World Series two years in a row, and then they proceeded to lose a hundred games so many times. Right. Um, you know, I, it, and unfortunately, that's the realization of baseball. I just hope the Reds can get to the point where they're more like the Cardinals, that they win, 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 and when you have a down year, it's not so far down. That people forget who you are, and, and I think that's neat, you know that's kind of what they need to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're trying to do that. It's just not as you know the the Cardinals kind of had a head start on everybody because they were good for so long before there was such really just big disparity between teams.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things when I think about the Cardinals that just irks me the most is that when I really boil it down, I'm just jealous of them because even in their bad yeah. years they're still competing for a wild card spot.
0: Yeah. And and it's but you know it's almost chicken in the egg. You got to get and part of the reason they can do what they do is because they fill that stadium up yeah. every night. And but you fill the stadium up when you win championships and when you go to the playoffs year after year. So you almost have to win, fill the stadium up with fans and and then that'll insulate you from really bad years. And you know that's easier said than done. Cardinals are one of a kind when it comes to to, to that in baseball. Um, but you know i I'd love to see the Reds get there and I, I think you know honestly, I think they have the potential, especially with the pitching staff they have right now. Can they keep them all beyond this year? I don't know, they'll try, but um you know I think they're on track to do some good things
1: man now i'm happy let's end it on that (laughs) all right thank thank you so much Yid. i appreciate your time man and uh hopefully get to talk to you again sometime soon
0: you got it anytime